All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalms chapter 74. Psalms chapter number 74. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed. This Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations. Even all thy enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They sit up there in signs for signs. A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees. But now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers. They have cast fire into the sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their heart, Let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. For God is my King of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of dragons in waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Thou didst cleave the fountain and the flood. Thou driest up mighty rivers. The day is thine. The night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast uh, set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. O deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove unto the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of the poor forever. Have respect and the covenant for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitation of cruelty. O let not the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. Arise O God, plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege we do have to preach the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts now. Lord, give us, uh, Lord, ears to hear and hearts to listen. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. I want to preach tonight on this subject on when the wicked attack the sanctuary. When the wicked attack the sanctuary. When we come to Psalms chapter 74, this is another psalm of Asaph. And we know that Asaph wrote this psalm at a time when there was much sadness and sorrow over the state of Jerusalem. There's no doubt that when you read Psalms chapter 74 that we see here that there was a time of great misery taking place. It's clear that in this text here that the temple was destroyed, that the land was being laid to waste, that the enemies had the upper hand, and that it seemed like God had turned a deaf ear toward His own people... And his sanctuary. There seems like there's no prophet uh, in the land or preacher with a message. And so it is a time when there is a famine of the Word of God. The wicked have come in. And in those days, whenever the wicked would attack the nation of Israel, they always targeted the sanctuary. They always went to the place of the house of God. The reason for that was for two reasons. One, they hated God. And two, because Israel uh, proclaimed that that God was their strength. So they would target the sanctuary sanctuary, attack the sanctuary in the 
fact that proved that God was not that their God was dead and that their God was powerless. And so that is the uh, that is the background of Psalms chapter seventy four. And when we come to this psalm here, there's no doubt that when you read it, uh, that we see that what's happening in Jerusalem and in the sanctuary was divine. It was destructive and it was also discouraging. And for God uh, had made the, had allowed the enemy to come in and make a special point of attack uh, concerning uh, the house of God. So we're preaching on when the wicked attack the sanctuary. How relevant that is even in the day that we're living in. And so we see here three things concerning Asaph uh, in these 23 verses of this psalm here. I want you to notice uh, first of all, as we look at this, we see here Asaph's frustration. As Asaph, uh, in this psalm, he shows his frustration. He, he's frustrated because uh, God, in verse number 1 and 2, seemingly is angry and has rejected his people. He said, O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger uh, smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. So Asaph is is frustrated because God uh, has seemingly forsaken uh, his people and forsaken the sanctuary. He doesn't understand in verse number 1 why God has abandoned his people. He said, uh, Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture. Why hast thou cast us off uh, forever? He doesn't understand why God has forsaken his people, nor his possession. In verse number 2, he reminds him, remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old. He says Israel belongs to God. Uh, Jerusalem is your city. Uh, he said, talks about Mount Zion is your place that you have dwelt. God, why have you forsaken your possession? Why have you forsaken your people? And then, more importantly, why have you forsaken your place? In verse number 3, the sanctuary. When he talks about lifting up the feet, you know, he's talking about putting the enemy under under his feet, conquering them. Why have you set your feet down and allowed this to take place? And the enemy has done wickedly in the sanctuary. So uh, Asaph is frustrated here because that God has abandoned his people. He's frustrated because it seems that God has abandoned them. He's frustrated because that the temple is being allowed to be destroyed. Here And so Asaph highlights in verse number 4, he highlights the wicked's defiance in the sanctuary. He said, Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregation. They set up their ensigns for signs. In other words, he says, God, the enemies have, have, have come on our property. They have come in the sanctuary. They have, they're boasting themselves in the house of God. They're, they're laying down the law. They're laying down the rules in the sanctuary. He said, God, why have you allowed this to happen? They're their defiance in the sanctuary, their destruction in the sanctuary. Look at verse number 5. He said, A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees, but now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers. He's talking about here the destruction inside the sanctuary. They're destroying the house of God. You know, there are those today that if they could have their way, they would love to see the house of God destroyed. 
They would love to, to uh, destroy the house of God. And that's what they're doing in this text here. There are those today that they would like to do away with the church. They would like to have a society where there's no steeples, a society where there is no congregating on Sundays. Uh, they have their, their sights on the church. And that's what the enemy has done here. The wicked has come in and they've defied the sanctuary. Uh, they, they've, de- this, they've destroyed the sanctuary. And now they're defiling the sanctuary. Look at Verse number 7, they have cast fire into the sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They've taken the holy place and made it an unholy place. They've allowed wicked things to go on in the house of God. You know, that's what happens whenever the world or whenever the church allows the world to come in. That's that's what happens when the church allows the wicked to come in. They dirty up the house of God. And the wicked despise the holy things of God. They don't like this holy book. They don't like the holy standards. They don't like the holy scriptures. They don't like the Holy Spirit. And so they want to defile that. They want to come in and bring their music in and bring their Bibles in. They wanted to get rid of anything that is pleasing to a holy God. I would say today that if there's ever been a time when our churches need a revival of holiness it's the day we're living in. Brother, I'm telling you, listen, our our pulpits need to be holy. Our message needs to be holy. Our our members need to be holy. We're living in a time when we need to cleanse ourselves uh, from the worldliness of our churches today. And I think that it's upset God and it's angered God that we have invited so much of the world to come into our churches today and we've allowed uh, contemporary services and contemporary songs and and contemporary sermons and preachers to come in and the Bible even says that in verse number 9 that that, uh, uh, we see not our signs there is no more any prophet neither is there any neither amongst us any that knoweth how long they don't know how long this is going to go on they don't know how, how long this is going to continue. And listen, there's there's no one with a word, they said, in this day and time to stand. Now we know that we've got preachers today that are still preaching the word. But I think the point that I would make is this, is that we're not seeing men of God uh, as many preachers coming up as what we used to. And those that are coming up are more concerned with a celebrity status or they're more concerned about uh, being successful in the ministry as to being a true holy man of God. They can't do anything without getting some kind of recognition for it. That real men of God are more concerned about delivering the burden on their heart and preaching and pleasing God rather than being honored by man. And so we see that in this text that the wicked here uh, they've defiled the sanctuary. Look at verse number uh, verse number 8. They said in their hearts let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. They, they want to shut down all the, uh, the, the places of worship. We see not our signs There is no more any prophet, he said. Oh God, in verse number 10, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? God seems strangely silent as the heathen are having their way in the sanctuary. Well, when you think about that today, how that applies to the hour that we're living in, doesn't it seem like that God has just sit back and let people do what they want to in the house of God? The Bible talks about the Laodicean age. And the word Laodicean means ruled by the people. 
I've never seen a time when people want to rule in the house of God. They don't, they don't want to get under the leadership of the man of God. Thank God for churches that are still operating under the leadership of a pastor and under the leadership of those that have been appointed by, by the, the pastor and by the church. And, and thank God for that, those that are willing to submit. But can I tell you, there's a lot of churches that are family-owned and operated. There's a lot of churches, you know why? They, they don't need a pastor. Some have been without a pastor for two and three years. Some can't keep a pastor. You know why? Because the people want to rule. And listen, they're, we're living in a time when, when that's taking place and then uh, there are those that, that, that are just like this they want to come in and shut the sanctuary down altogether. they want to do away as I said with the house of God and so we see Asaph's frustration he sees all this taking place and it bothers him it concerns him that God is not doing something about it you know what concerns me today is the lack of concern amongst God's people Perhaps God is allowing these days to take place. It doesn't matter to me if what's taking place around the world, there's, or around our country and around the world, there's opinions on both sides. Some say it's a conspiracy. Some say it's not a conspiracy. Some say it's real. Some say it's not real. You know what? At the end of the day, none of that matters to me because what I see is the big picture of this. I see that God, for whatever reason, doesn't matter uh, who's running the show behind the scenes. I'll tell you who he is. It's God. But does it matter who is responsible for what's taking place? What I see is the big picture that God is so upset with the church. He's so upset with the slothfulness of saints. If this don't bring revival, if this don't wake the people of God up, I don't know what else will. Probably heavy persecution. But perhaps this is just a foreshadow of God trying to get our attention to say, hey, you've taken church uh, lightly for so long. You've neglected church for so long. you've, You've came to get out rather than to get in for so long that church has not been a serious matter to you for for so long let's just take it away for a little while how long that would be is up to him not anybody else and when I think about that I think that what concerns me the most is still the lack of concern amongst saints that people are not burdened for revival like they ought to be And here we see that the wicked have taken over the sanctuary and Asaph's frustration. I'm saying today that that what the the uncertainties of the hour ought to cause you and I to fall on our knees and do a self-examination of our own heart and our own life. I see not only his frustration, but also I I notice his faith. Look at verse number 12. For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou... Didst divide the sea by the strength by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of dragons in the earth. What is he saying? He's saying that he's acknowledging God as conqueror in these verses, that God is the king of old. I think we have to be reminded of that. Who's running this world? Who's in charge of governments? Who, who is the one that, that is leading all the nations? Who is the one setting the stage? I want to tell you, it's not politicians that are in charge. And it's not the devil that's in charge. It's God that's in charge of this thing. He's the one that sets kings up and sets them down. He's the one that is in charge of all things. And so uh, Asaph exercises in the midst of his frustration. He still exercises faith. He still 
still says, for God is my king of old. Hey, that's what we need to remember. God is still our king. He's our salvation in the midst of this earth. He's the one that brings down the dragons. He's the one that divides the sea by his own strength. That's the the God. He talks about him as a, a God as his conqueror, but he also acknowledges God as his creator. He talks about the Lord being the one. In verse number 15, he said, Thou didst cleave the fountains and the flood. Thou driest up mighty rivers. The day is thine. The night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. In other words, his faith is in God as his conqueror and his faith is in God as his creator. Can I tell you God is in charge? But I also want to tell you that God is the creator of this earth. And what that means is there's no sickness, there's no virus, there's nothing, there's nothing known, uh, no physical ailment known to man that what God is not able to heal from that. God is our creator. I think about people that have gotten sick, some have passed away, some that have gotten sick that we have prayed for that God has touched and God has healed. It just proves that God will have His way. His will is going to be done in all things. And we know that God is in control of of, of everything. And so we see that His faith is in God as His conqueror. His faith is in God as His creator. Where is your faith at today? I would encourage you that it's it's a whole lot better to have, a whole lot easier, should I say, to have faith when the, the when we read more of the Bible than we do the headlines. You know, if you're a person that you're constantly reading, uh, reading or you're watching more of the news than you are reading the Word of God, I can tell you, you're not going to have a lot of faith. But if your faith is in this book and you're, you're reading this book and you're staying in this book, it doesn't matter what we're facing around, around us. We can still say, say and know that God is in charge. There's a peace that comes in the pages of the Word of God here. And so we see Asaph's faith. I would encourage you to have faith in God in these times. Be patient. Wait on God. Trust God. Let God do His will. Let His will be performed. We see His frustration. We see His faith. Don't be a person of little faith in these days. Don't be an individual that you're, you're basing everything off circumstances. You're baking, basing everything off what this person says or what that person says. I'll tell you, look to the Bible and see what God has to say about things. Look to the Bible and see what what God is doing. Recognize the divine hand of God working in our life during this time. But we see here not only his faith and we see not only his frustration, but I want you to notice Asaph's fervency. When you come to verse number 18, this is what I see here. Throughout the rest of this chapter, I see the fervency of Asaph. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean that he's willing to pray on in spite of what he sees what he hears, and what he knows. You know, don't lose heart in the closet of prayer during these days. There's ever a time that we ought to be praying. It should be now. And we ought to be praying for our nation. We ought to be praying for uh, those that are sick. And we ought to be praying for our churches. And when I think about praying for our nation, I think about praying for, the, for the, our nation, for the sin sick of our nation. Our nation is a, is a nation that is sin sick. Our nation needs our prayers because of the sins of America. And when I think about praying for those that are physically sick, I pray for their recovery. I pray for God to touch them. I pray that that their lives would not be taken and that God would heal and God would rid our land, would heal our land of of this virus. And then I think about the church. And when I think about the church, I I pray for the church that God would bring revival. You know, as we look at everything 
around this world, we have to think about 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. If my people which are called by my name, if we the people of God would humble ourselves and if we would pray. I wonder how many people listening right now and watching right now, and I'm talking to church people, not just Bible Baptists, but anyone that is watching and listening. I wonder how many of us have humbled ourselves through this whole process. I, I've seen so many posts on social media that I think is such a shame to the cause of Christ. I think it's such a it's such division. Uh, people uh, uh, putting out their opinion and people, uh, people trying to take different sides on different... It doesn't matter to me which side you're on. I'll tell you, I think if people would, would stop posting and start praying, it would make a difference. I think people would be more focused on, on humbling themselves as to trying to be heard amongst others, then we could see revival. It could be that God is using this, that if we would humble ourselves and pray, and He said, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I wonder how many of us have really looked at our own ways and said we need to turn the sin of pride. You say, well, preacher, I'm not doing all these other things. What about the sin of pride? I wonder how many of us today could have revival if we could just get pride out of our life. I wonder how many of us could have revival if we could get uh, uh, just a, if we could just get low and just humble ourselves and get to the place where we look up and say, "Oh God, we need you." You say, "What would happen?" God said He would hear from heaven, He would forgive our sins, and then God said He would heal our land. I don't think the answer today is with the lost. I think it's with the saved. I think we as the people of God need to do a good self-examination and we need to have fervency in prayer. Uh, Listen, we need to stop blaming the heathen and start putting the blame at the church's feet. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of this world. And I'll tell you the the reason America's in such bad shape today is because God's people has abandoned Him. Perhaps the reason God has abandoned the sanctuary in our text, no, no perhaps to it. We know it to be true. But the reason God has abandoned them is because they have abandoned Him. Now ultimately God will keep His promise. We know that God will never uh, ultimately abandon the nation of Israel but God turned a deaf ear God had turned away and allowed the wicked to come in the sanctuary because of their own sin, their own slothfulness and I pray that God's people will wake up to what's taking place and what God is trying to say we see Asaph's fervency that he's going to pray and he's going to seek God in spite of what's taking place and look at that in verse number 18 I notice that he, as he prays to Jehovah he says in verse number 18 and 19 Lord remember your people Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. O deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove uh, unto the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. Listen, he cries out to God and said, Lord, remember your people. That's what we need to be praying today as a nation or as a, as a church. We need to be praying, God, remember your people. God, look down in America and see, don't forget us. In this time, in wrath, remember mercy. God, remember the church. The church needs to look up. And we need to say, oh God, please remember us. And then we see, he say, praise Lord, respect your promise. In verse, uh, verse number 20, he says, have respect unto the covenant. For the dark places of the earth are full of the habitation of cruelty. God, remember your covenant. God, remember your promise. 
And God has made a promise to the nation of Israel. And God has made a a promise to the church. Lord, remember your people. Lord, uh, respect your promise. Lord, rekindle your praise. Look at verse 21. Oh, let not the oppressed return to shame. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. You know, our churches have been quiet for way too long. I remember years ago when you would go to church and the front rows were filled with people that their purpose of sitting there was to say amen. Now people will, will sit in the back. And that's no reflection to people that sit in the back, but it is a reflection to people that go from the front row to the back row. If you want to sit on the front row, when you go back to church, you ought to get right with God and get back on the front row if you're on the back row. You ought to get, you say, well, it's crowded. Just make it a little more crowded. Get back up front where the fire's at and start saying amen. I say shame on anybody that has moved from the front row to the back row. If God puts you on the front row or the second row or the third row, you ought to get back there and you ought to amen the preaching. You ought to amen the singing. You ought to come to church with some fire and some fervency. You ought to, there ought to be praise in the house of God. I remember when the front rows were filled with preachers and, and they were and young preachers and they were ready to say amen and deacons and, and people that had a desire to, to help support the Word of God. And they, they wanted their voice to be heard as the man of God was being preached, that they were supporting what was being said. And the church was stronger as a result of that. I remember, uh, listen, starting how when there was such an electricity in the air, when saints came together, there was an excitement. Whenever the choir would sing, people didn't just stare off into outer space, but I'll tell you what, they had a smile on their face and, and they sang with all of their might. Didn't matter if they had a great voice or not, but they lifted up their voice and they didn't just mumble the words, but they sang and they raised their hand and they smiled and they shouted. And boy, I tell you, you go to the average church nowadays and it's just the opposite of that. You know why? Because people have forgotten that his house is a house of prayer and it's a house of praise. Amen. He said, Lord, rekindle. Maybe all this time away from church is going to rekindle praise. I'm not talking about coming back in and getting excited for the moment and then a few weeks or months down the road going back to normal. I'm talking about in your heart of hearts, you ought to say, you ought to say to yourself, never again will I go to church and not praise God. And I'm talking about never again will I not go to church and say amen to the preaching. Will I not raise my hand in church? You know, I remember years ago being in a service and I made my mind up. I said, you know, I'm never going to go to church again and, and just sit there. I, I know everybody can't testify every service. But I'm talking about what you can do every service is you praise God by lifting up your hands. And you know I love testimonies and I love praising God. But I'm not talking about just always standing up and giving a testimony. And I'm not against that. But I'm talking about praising God throughout the entire service. I'm talking about when the singing's going on and when the preaching's going on. It's good to have testimonies. And you, you that come to our church know that I love testimonies. But if you shout it out during a testimony and never say nothing else during the singing and the preaching, hey, listen, you need to... You need to get your praise right. You need to get involved and, and, and back the preacher up, back the singers up. And, and when the choir's singing, you need to sing with all of your might. You, you need to come to the choir every chance you can. Hey, listen, we, there's no choir singing right now. There's no opportunity to come to the choir. That ought to sadden your heart, but it also ought to determine uh, your heart to say, you know what? I'm joining the choir when I go back. I'm going to walk up them steps, and I'm going to lift my voice up, and I'm going to sing. And I'm simply saying this, Lord, read Rekindle your praise. And then finally in verse 22 and 23, he closes by this fervent prayer of, Lord, reveal your power. 
He said, Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Forget not the voice of thine enemies. The tumult of those that rise up against thee increaseth continually. He said, Lord, reveal your power. Oh, we need the power of God. Our churches have been powerless as a whole. I know there are some that still have the power of God. But many are operating in the mechanics and the energy of the flesh. And we need, uh, we need our churches to have the power of God. God will reveal His power if people will repent. And in this psalm here, we see that when the wicked attack the sanctuary, that this is what happens. They defile, they destroy, and they, they, uh, they defy the very house of God. I want to ask you this question in closing. Do you want that to happen in America? Do you want that to be the commentary of our church and of every other church? Is that one day you say, well, preacher, they'll never shut down churches in America. Well, look where we're at today. Again, I'm not somebody that I think the virus is real. Simply put, I believe it's real. I know people that are, are sick with it right now. I personally know people that are sick with this virus. I personally know people who have died with this virus. I know people who have got sick and have recovered with this virus. There's no doubt this is real. There's no doubt that our president... And those in his administration are doing everything they can to try to keep us safe. I do not believe that this is a full-blown attack on the church by no means because Disney World is shut down. Uh, Major League Baseball is shut down. We could go on and on. It's not a target on the church. And there are those that are, are trying to maybe make that what it is. It's not a tar- I don't believe it's a target to take away all of our, uh, our, uh, uh, our, our religious or our civil freedom. I don't think that that is what the president is trying to do, do or nor those in his administration. In fact, I personally believe this. We probably have more people now uh, in the government system that, that uh, proclaims God and that, that at least honors God and those that know God than we have in decades. And so that's a good thing. But at the same time, to put a balance on what I just said, there is this. There are those local officials in pockets and places and and even government officials in liberal, in liberal states who see this, what is real, as an opportunity uh, to promote their agenda and to, yes, attack the church as well as our civil freedom. And we cannot make that the whole picture. But what it is is, is this. It shows us that if you and I don't get on our knees and if we don't pray and if we don't seek God and if we don't self-examine our heart, the answer is not in the government. The answer is not in the cure of a virus or, or the defeat of a virus or the, the virus defeating us. The answer is in the church. The answer is in me taking this so personal that I don't even see the error of Bible Baptist Church, but I see the error of my own self, my own heart. God, what do I need to do to have revival? What do you need to do to have revival? I don't want the churches to be closed. I don't want the wicked to attack the sanctuary. So I want to do my part. I, I, want to, I want to get right with God. I want to pray for our country. I want to pray for our president. I want to pray for those that they will defeat this virus. I want to pray for those who are sick that they'll be healed. And I want to pray for our churches. That God, you'll wake them up. Maybe you say, well, preacher, it's been four weeks since we've had church. Maybe it needs to be two months before we have church again. American people are so impatient, they don't know how to wait on anything. Maybe they need to, maybe, maybe being locked down for a month or two might be a good thing. 
for us to wake up and realize how much we really need God and see the big picture. I think people have still not seen the big picture. I don't know when this is going to end, but I would say this to you and I tonight and to our church. Don't spend your days looking at all the the news headlines and and reading all the conspiracy theories and and what everybody else's opinions on both sides. I tell you what you ought to do. Spend your days in the Bible and seeking God's face. And remember God is in control, but examine your own heart. Let me examine my own heart and let's ask God to send revival to this nation once again. Our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I pray now. God, I pray that you'll take this message and use it to, to help us. Lord, I pray that even some of the things that I've said here at the end, Lord, I pray that I've not rambled in any way, but God just tried to share the burden of my heart to our people. And God, I, I ask you to, to help our country. I pray that you'll help our president. I pray against this virus, Lord, that God, that you would heal those who are sick with it right now. I pray for those who have suffered the loss of their loved ones that have died as a result. I know this is very real to them. God, I pray and Help us to be compassionate toward those that have suffered loss during this time. But God, help us as a church to stop pointing fingers and to get on our knees and start praying, to quit posting and start praying and asking you to turn our hearts and to turn our nation back to you. God, the problem is not with the lost, it's with the saved. Just as it was in this text, the problem was not the wicked destroying the sanctuary. God, the problem was with your people that had abandoned you, that had walked away from you. God, help us today to realize that. And Lord, I pray that when we come back together, God, we'll come back stronger and more spiritual and closer. Help us to prioritize our life in these days and see the real need of this hour. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.